0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful, self made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to this show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women get to the root cause of their period problems and hormonal imbalances. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Sarah Godfrey to our show today. Dr. Godfrey's interview marks the first of many podcasts that we'll be doing in the world of health and wellness. One of the biggest myths that women have on their path to building their empire is that they have to sacrifice their health in order to be successful. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Starting this week, in addition to my interviews on entrepreneurship, I'm going to be bringing you the top experts in women's health to help you you better understand your biology and how to personalize your health to achieve the success you deserve. Well, I'm super excited to have Dr. Sarah Gottfried with us today. Dr. Gottfried is a board certified physician who graduated from Harvard and MIT. She practices evidence-based integrative precision and functional medicine. Dr. Gottfried has spent her career demystifying hormones and helping patients improve their health more broadly with personalized medicine. She also has three New York Times bestselling books, including The Hormone Cure, The Hormone Reset Diet, and her latest book, which we'll be talking about today, called Women, Food and Hormones. Welcome to the show, Dr. Godfried. Thank you, Yasmin. So happy to be with you. I'm so glad that you're here because so many entrepreneurs and there's a lot of women entrepreneurs listening in today are completely sacrificing their health for success. I mean, I was there for most of my life and I know you've been there as well. So I'm super excited for this conversation today because there's so much for us to talk about, but I'd love to jump right in. So you are the go-to expert for all things hormonal health, but I found, and it's true in my own journey that a lot of people don't even know the basics of hormonal health. So I'd love to hear, you know, what role or what are the key roles that hormones play in our body as a whole? Hormones drive what you're interested in. So whether that's building an empire or
1: it's having kids or, you know, trying to strike a balance between the two, hormones really determine your mood, your weight, your metabolic health, which is what I really care about. It's what I research. And it's, you know, the way I think of hormones is that they're, they're like text messages in the body. So they originate in different glands. They originate in the brain. They originate in the adrenals that are above the kidneys. They originate in the thyroid, the ovaries in women, the testes in men. And they go to distant locations to tell the body what to do, like to perk up your mood, to avoid depression, to help you with burning glucose, to help you with your next great idea, And so we want to be thinking about whether our hormones are in balance, because when they're out of whack, that's where you feel miserable. That's where you have the anxiety, the depression, the feeling like you're tired, but wired. Maybe you can't sleep. Maybe you're struggling with zipping up your jeans or your suit. So we really need to care about hormones. They are the foundation of our mission, everything we do in the world.
0: And I love how, you know, you've mentioned that in another interview as well, that they just play such an important role in our mission, right? And they're kind of the wind behind our backs pushing us. And I think a lot of women don't know how involved hormones are in just how we show up day to day. Like you've mentioned, you've talked about a few aspects of how hormonal imbalances can show up in a woman, but can you share more about common ways of how they show up in our daily lives? Well, the list is long. So you know, maybe what we could do
1: is start with estrogen and progesterone. So estrogen is the quintessential female hormone. I say that with the caveat that I think testosterone is so important for female entrepreneurs. So I want to make sure that we talk about testosterone too, but estrogen has about 400 jobs in the body. It's involved in making our breasts and our hips when we go through puberty, but it does so many other things too. It keeps our joints lubricated. It helps us with Cognitive function. So what happens for a lot of women, especially over 40, is that as estrogen starts to fluctuate wildly in perimenopause and then starts to decline in menopause, we really notice it. So that's where you know the thoughts don't come as readily. Maybe your memory is not quite what it used to be. You walk into a room, you can't quite remember why, and then it comes to you a few minutes later. So estrogen is super important. And what happens with estrogen is we reach kind of a peak level around 35. So a lot of women notice around 35 that maybe they've got autoimmune disease for the first time. And that can be related to something called estrogen dominance, where you have too much estrogen relative to progesterone. Progesterone is in a tango with estrogen. So it's the partner of estrogen. It helps to balance estrogen. And the way I think of it is it's kind of like nature's Xanax. It helps you with anxiety. It helps you with self-soothing. It helps you deal with failures. It helps you with your menstrual cycle. So if your cycle, for instance, after 35, it might get closer together or after 40 or 45. And that's related to running out of right becks in your ovaries and your progesterone declining. So testosterone, can we talk about testosterone? Yes, please. My favorite hormone too. (laughs) It's my favorite because we think of it as a male hormone. But the truth is it's the most abundant hormone that women make. So if you get a hormone panel and you look at the concentration of all the levels of your hormones from thyroid to estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, the stress hormone, testosterone is the most abundant. So even though we have 10 to 20 times less than men, we are so sensitive to it. We're exquisitely sensitive. And so that means we've got to keep testosterone in that Goldilocks position where it's not too low, but it's also not too high. And a lot of folks don't realize that testosterone has the things that you would typically associate with it. You know, it's involved in muscle mass, seeing a response to weightlifting or weight training, whatever you like to do, Tracy Anderson. But it's also involved in sex drive, confidence, agency, feeling like you're fully empowered. There was even a study looking at MBA students where they found that women who had lower testosterone levels we're less likely to take risk. So that's where it starts to interface with entrepreneurship. And what's important is that testosterone can decline starting in your 20s. So 28 is kind of a typical age where it starts to go down, can go down about 1% per year. But if you're someone like I was in my 20s where I was working about 120 hours a week, I was definitely burning the candle at both ends, that can accelerate the loss of testosterone. So you mostly make it in your ovaries. You also make it in your adrenals. Another thing that I'm guilty of, I sometimes joke, Yasmin, that I've had almost every hormone imbalance that you can have because I've struggled with all of these things. If you have a sugar addiction, you know, kind of a soft addiction to sugar, you crave it. It's hard to stay away from it. Maybe you give up sugar for a while then you get back to it. That can also accelerate the loss of testosterone. So One of the patterns I see a lot of entrepreneurs get into is that they crave sugar, especially if they're staying up late, trying to accomplish something, you know, they're getting their pitch deck ready, they're trying to raise, and they are using sugar as fuel. You know, maybe it's bars, maybe it's some other form of sugar, chocolate chip cookies happen to be my kryptonite. That can really accelerate some of these hormone imbalances, not just testosterone, but also insulin. Insulin is the primary hormone that drives glucose into cells. When insulin's high, that also makes you crave carbs. It makes you store fat instead of burning fat. I'll pause there. I've got, you know, dozens of hormones that we can talk about, but those are the key players.
0: was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com free. Once again, it's beawellness.com free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes, along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. So much of what you explained, you're talking about my life. You're talking about so many people that I know. So it seems like hormonal imbalances are incredibly common. So I'm curious, you know, why do you think in our day and age, this is such a common theme that so many women are experiencing?
1: Well, the list is long of, you know, the reason for hormone disruptions too. One is our lifestyle. You know, I think, especially as female founders and women who want a big life, we often push too hard and don't tune into what our body really needs. So that could be skimping on sleep. That's probably the easiest way to fall down a hormonal flight of stairs. We skimp on the foods that are the most nourishing for us. And choose instead convenience, especially during the pandemic. I mean, how many of us were getting takeout? I mean, we did so much of that. And we know that takeout disrupts insulin. It's associated with a greater risk of type 2 diabetes. It leads to problems with testosterone. It decreases testosterone. What we want to do is make your own kitchen the best restaurant around, because that's really the way to help these hormones stay in balance. There's other factors too, you know, the way that the big food Industry has gotten us addicted to certain palatability of food. So food has really changed. We've got so much more frankenfood now than we used to. And even if you look at something like, you know, I had a great-grandmother who was a huge influence on me. She was a total badass. She was an entrepreneur. She was born in 1900. And she came to my wedding when I was 97. When she was 97, she came to my wedding. I was 29, 30, 30 she danced with like every man that was at that wedding. She was shamelessly flirting. She outlived four husbands. But when she was born, an apple had somewhere around five grams of fructose or fruit sugar. Now apples are like sugar bombs. They have like 20 grams of fructose. And so food has really changed. There's also big uh, chemistry. There's the way that the chemicals that are released into the environment, especially the ones that disrupt our hormones, are presumed innocent until proven guilty. So that's a huge factor, whether it's bisphenol A or phthalates in our cosmetics. The average woman puts about 50 synthetic hormones, synthetic chemicals that disrupt hormones on our skin every day, unless you have a level of awareness. And then the last thing I'll say is sexism and patriarchy. So these are the ways that women are not supported, the ways that the glass ceiling still exists. You know, it can be crushing. It can certainly affect your hormones. It raises cortisol, the stress hormone. It leads to, you know, when cortisol is out of balance, that can throw your thyroid out of whack, lead to hair loss, lead to weight gain, lead to puffiness, higher cholesterol. So I think all of those factors are important. I'm sure I'm um, leaving out a few. Maybe you've got some ideas too about why we're such a mess hormonally.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so much to dig into. We'll go into your protocol in a little bit, but you know, there's so many things that you've talked about in terms of even like what you eat, the fruits. I love fruits. And I was wearing a glucose monitor recently. It's game changing. And I, you know, I I don't have diabetes, but just to kind of see how sugar and insulin plays a role, you know, just even eating a handful of cherries shot up my sugars. And I remember telling my husband, like, I just feel so out of it this afternoon. I don't know why I don't feel motivated. And I looked at my glucose monitor. I was like, Oh, oh my goodness just that spike in sugar you know is what's causing me to feel off and that's one of the many pillars that we'll talk about today but these are things that so many women you know if we are just Educated and more empowered to make these small lifestyle shifts, like you really will feel so much better and more empowered. And that's why I'm so passionate about what you're talking about. Because once I kind of have done these small changes in my life, I really feel like I can build my empire now, which is why I want to have these kinds of conversations because it really does play a role in everything in your life, which I love. So I actually want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your story, right? Hormonal imbalances are so common. And even someone like you who has incredible credentials and formal training, you still went through your own health crisis. So can you talk to us more about your story and maybe a few of those big aha moments that you had along the way?
1: Certainly. So let me say first, since you mentioned your husband, Drew, congratulations on your wedding. Oh, I was just so you. delighted to see that you guys type a knot. I'm just so happy you're still in the newlywed phase and oh. I'm just... So delighted for the two of you. Thank you so much. And of course, I mean, the love just like leaps off the page in the photos of you guys. So yes, my story, you know, I love to share my story. A lot of doctors don't, you know, they just want to hear your story. And I share my story mostly so that people can relate to it. Because I was one of those women around age 35 who had one kid and I was trying to, I was practicing in what I call McMedicine. So I was seeing about 30 to 40 patients a day and I had dreams of entrepreneurship. I had dreams of leaving the HMO where I was working. I was also working at UCSF as volunteer faculty and I had this dream of doing something bigger. So I was building a bridge to do that. I was working with an executive coach who was helping me, but I just remember Yasmin how I would feel at the end of the day. So I would see these 30, 35 patients. I would come home and I would park in my driveway, knowing that my precious daughter was inside with a nanny and that I needed to get in that front door. And I just felt paralyzed. I felt paralyzed because I was so stressed. I remember my jaw was so tight by the end of the day. Like every day, I felt like I needed to take ibuprofen. And that is no way to live, you know, to I mean, first of all, it's a bad idea. It actually blocks the resolution of inflammation. We could talk about that. But I just had this level of tension in my body. I was clenching my jaw at night. I was grinding my teeth. My dentist kept telling me this. And I wasn't really connecting the dots. I realized that I was working in a way that was not suited to me. And I had all of these hormone issues because I was so stressed I was right at that age that I mentioned earlier where I had estrogen dominance. So I had too much estrogen relative to progesterone. I was at that age where you start to run out of right bags. So I just wasn't making as much progesterone. I couldn't soothe myself the way that I used to be able to. I did yoga almost every day because I had to. And I went to my doctor, my beloved primary care doctor who said to me, well, why don't you take a birth control pill? that solves your hormone problems. No, it doesn't. It masks your, your hormone problems. And he said, you know, you sound stressed. How about an antidepressant? Why don't we just give you a low dose of an antidepressant? And I was like, I'm not depressed. I mean, yes, I have PMS. Yes, I don't really want to have sex with my husband, even though he's totally hot. And yes, I'm stressed. But how is it that an antidepressant is going to solve these problems? And then the last thing he said, because I was struggling with my weight, was you got to exercise more and eat less. And that was like the straw that broke the, the camel's back, Yasmin, because I realized, okay, this is wrong. And I had that righteous indignation that I think really can move mountains and start revolutions because I knew in that moment that so many millions of women are being told the very same thing. So I had enough wherewithal in this medical training to leave his office, decline the prescriptions and to go straight to the lab where I scienced myself and I ran a hormone panel and I found that my cortisol, that stress hormone was three times what it should have been. And that was why I had so much belly fat. That was why I felt so wired and yet couldn't fall asleep well at night. It was why I was moody. It was driving the PMS It was part of the issue with estrogen and progesterone because if you're making so much cortisol, you're not making as much progesterone. It was why my testosterone was low. And so that kicked off this whole approach to natural ways of getting hormones back into balance. I was able to correct my 3X cortisol within four weeks. That's what got me started. That's what led to me writing my first book, The Hormone Cure. It definitely accelerated that bridge to leave McMedicine, start my own private practice, build my own
0: digital health business. Oh my goodness. So much to unpack. And I know, you know, you covered a few of the biggest root causes of hormonal imbalances, and I want to tease out a few of those and get your thoughts about it. And for our listeners listening, if you want to get more details on Sarah's overall plan, we'll put her book in the show notes. And there's so much content and information she has. So please, please check that out. But I want to talk about stress, right? The way you kind of have spoke about your late 20s and 30s sounds very similar to my journey, and I'm sure a lot of women listening. But you've also mentioned how stress, and you've talked about in your own life, it it impacts women more than men. So can you expand more on what you mean by that? Because not all stress is necessarily bad. Absolutely true.
1: So what we know is there's a stress gap, meaning that every year we do this annual survey of men and women across the U.S. to understand the level of stress. And we have unprecedented levels of stress right now. You know, some driven by the pandemic, some driven by economic issues, but we know that women tend to experience more stress than men. So the point there is perception. So a lot of what matters with stress is not so much, you know, how much you're, you're tolerating or what what you're dancing with stress-wise, it's much more about your perception of it and how you adapt and how you react to it. So that's what came out of, for instance, the research that led to the Nobel Prize for Elizabeth Blackburn for her work on telomeres, those cute little ends of the chromosome that are kind of like the, the tips of shoelaces. What we know from her research is that women in their 30s and 40s who have high perceived stress, are accelerating their aging process about 10 years faster than women who have a normal amount of stress. Now, I can tell you from practicing medicine for the past 25 plus years that I don't even know who those women are who have a normal amount of perceived stress because I seem to attract women who have a much greater stress load. But I think it's important to realize that there's this thing called U-stress, E-U-stress, which means it's the amount of stress that your body can really work with. And we also know that that's where you reach peak productivity, peak satisfaction and contentment with the work that you're doing. So having too little stress is not good because people tend to slow down, not accomplish as much, kind of depends on what your goals are. But then there's also this tipping point where you have too much which is where I was when I was thirty five and I, I'm so glad you're raising this because I remember when I wrote that first book, I had this editor who was in her thirties, and she you know lived in Manhattan. She was so accomplished, she's also the editor for Glennon Doyle. You know she said to me, "I'm so knowledgeable about so many things, you know, with business, with publishing. she was very accomplished in college, she had been you know like this dramatic rise through the publishing industry. And she said, I know almost nothing about hormones. Like, I, I just don't even know anything about cortisol. So she was learning from this process of writing the book. And so I just wanted to call that out that, you know, if this stuff is relatively new to you, if you've never heard of taking phosphatidylserine as a supplement to deal with high cortisol, which is my favorite supplement, because it's one of those supplements where you take it And with an hour, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And you're calling seven girlfriends, texting them and like, do you know about PS?
0: Wait, say the supplement one more time. What was the name of it? I need to get it for sure. Yeah. So it's called phosphatidylserine. It's an extract from plant
1: membranes. And it's been shown to really help you with membrane stability. It also works on the part of the brain that's involved in stress, the hippocampus. It's involved in emotional regulation. And it just works so well for those of us with high cortisol. And I've yet to see an entrepreneur who doesn't have high cortisol. So most of us have high cortisol. It's a a matter of managing it and figuring out what's going to work. You know, some of the other supplements that help are ashwagandha. We know that fish oil really helps. It also reduces body fat. There's also meditation, mindfulness, orgasmic meditation. There's so many different things that you can do. To get cortisol back into that position where it's more wrangled and it's supporting you. It's more like, as you described, the wind at your back rather
0: than kind of holding you back from greatness. And someone might be listening and thinking, okay, like I know she's saying, I'm, I'm probably stressed. I have high cortisol. Like, why have you mentioned cortisol as the bully in our body? Like, why do we need to care about this marker and actually try to incorporate stress management in our lives?
1: Because cortisol is at the top of the hierarchy. So not all hormones are created equal. Cortisol is one of the most essential hormones. Without it, you die. So people who have, for instance, this thing called Addison's disease where their adrenals are in failure and they just can't make cortisol, unless they take cortisol, they die. JFK, John F. Kennedy had Addison's. It's one of the reasons why his skin was a little bronze. Like he always looked like he was tan. And he also had some fatigue issues. So cortisol is at the top of the hierarchy and you can live without estrogen. You can live without progesterone, testosterone, can't live without cortisol. Also can't live without insulin. Cortisol and insulin are intimately involved, but cortisol, you know, I sometimes joke that from the Godfather, it's like Michael cortisol, Leone. It's the hormone that you really want to pay attention to because It's involved in blood glucose. So you mentioned glucose and kind of this response to cherries. So it's involved in glucose. It modulates the immune system. So we've got to care about it during the pandemic. And as we try to emerge from the pandemic, it's involved in so many different functions like blood pressure, vascular function, and it can take down these other hormones. As I mentioned, thyroid, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, pretty much it's involved with almost all the hormones. So what I like to do is not you know, measure a woman's hormone. I, hormone panel. I do a lot of executive care. I also take care of elite athletes, and I run hormone panels on everyone, men and women. But it's not like I, I measure someone's hormones and then top off every single one of them. It's more a matter of how do we start first with cortisol, get that into balance, because it's going to make getting the other hormones, thyroid, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone
0: into a better place once cortisol is where it needs to be. I'm so glad you brought that up. And you know, that's something that when I did my full hormone panel, you know, my regular doctor said everything is fine. And I'm thinking to myself, I still feel off. I still have horrible PMS, I do think my guts messed up because I was breaking out. I never used to break out. And I remember another functional medicine doctor telling me like, you are waking up as if you're ready to fight, like your cortisol levels are so high. So I'm glad you talked about the importance because once you dial that in, like you mentioned, I felt like my body was slowly getting back into rhythm. And, you know, you mentioned you work with so many elite athletes and credible entrepreneurs and you yourself, right? You're a New York times bestseller. You're a doctor. I mean, you must live a very busy and I would think, not the most stress-free life. So what are some of the mechanisms that you either have seen for others' work or have worked well in your life in terms of just balancing that stress? So what I encourage my patients to do,
1: whether you're an NBA player or you're a female CEO, is to come up with an a la carte menu that really works for you. So I can mention some of the things that are on my menu and what works for me now is a little different than what worked for me five or 10 years ago. You know, yoga used to be at the top of my list. I wish I could still have as much time for yoga. I just don't have as much. And so I still do yoga. I'll do in yoga, you know, like a five minute pose or two five minute poses in 10 minutes. I've got the Peloton. So I do a lot of those quick Peloton yoga classes So yoga is one good example. Let me do a quick tangent because you mentioned how you got a hormone panel and your well-intended doctor said, oh, you're fine, you're normal. And then you had a functional medicine doctor who said, actually, you're jumping up out of bed and you're like ready to fight. So there's the normal range, the average that we see for the US population. I don't wanna be average. The average American 88% of Americans are in a state of metabolic dysfunction where their weight is not where it should be. They've got too much fat. They've got inflammation kind of like a frat party happening in their body. Their gut isn't working. Their blood pressure is out of whack. Their glucose is too high. I don't want to be average. I want to be optimal. So that's part of the difference that you saw. I know you know this between mainstream medicine where they're not taught optimal ranges And functional medicine or what I practice, which is a combination of functional, integrative and precision medicine. So I just wanted to make that point because I think your listeners want to be optimal. And there's a way that you can almost get dismissed, told everything is fine when they're not, even gaslit when you're told that your labs are just fine, or you're told hormones vary too much, we're not even going to check them. So your question was about, okay, what works to manage this whole stress situation? So definitely, I think mind-body techniques are really important. The key is to get the dose right. So I think a lot of folks know this already. They're using Headspace. They're using Calm. Maybe they even signed up for a TM class. I'm seeing that more and more with my patients. I love to see that. But they're not getting the dose right. So maybe they do five or 10 minutes on an app. But that is just not enough to manage that feeling of jumping out of bed with something called the cortisol awakening response, which is kind of off the charts. And it sounds like maybe yours was a little high. Mine used to be too. So that's, you also got to time the dose. So for me, first thing in the morning, that's where my cortisol is the highest. And that's where I have to do some sort of breathing exercise. Right now I'm using Buteco breathing. I'm finding that really helpful. I do so much speaking around the time of my book launches that you can hear a little strain in my voice. So potato breathing helps with making breathing more efficient. I use it with my professional athletes too. And that's a reminder to take like a deep belly breath right now instead of panting like a rabbit and getting so excited about talking to you. The other thing is to really do an inventory and take a look at, okay, what are your stressors? Because often there's a little asymmetry that's happening either with your home life, with a relationship, with your work life. You know, what I found, for instance, when I discovered that my cortisol was three times what it should be, definitely seeing 30 to 40 patients a day was too much. I couldn't deliver the quality of medical care that I was trained to deliver. And I just felt like I was kind of slamming myself against a wall every day. So I accelerated that process of leaving the HMO and I realized that, you know, about 98% of my stress was the way that I was seeing patients. So I changed how I was seeing patients. I went to spending 90 minutes for, you know, the first visit for every patient that made such a huge difference. I realized I needed a lot more support. I needed nurses working with me, people who could extend me. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a quick start. You know, I'm always kind of chasing after the silver lining. So I need someone who is able, you know, I'm kind of speaking the language of Colby right now or DISC. I needed someone who could really ground me, who could take care of all the emails, like manage all of those things that I'm not so good at. Because I, I have a tendency, I have that corporate warrior gene called Compt C-O-M-T. So I chew through dopamine, catecholamines, epinephrine, norepinephrine really fast makes me a great surgeon, makes me a great entrepreneur, does not make me great at returning every email. So I think, you know, doing an inventory is really important. Food. So food, I have a food first philosophy. Your foods hugely regulate your hormones. That's what my new book is all about. And a lot of people don't realize that they're raising their cortisol levels with the way that they're they're eating. So food intolerances are a common reason. Part of what happens if you want the mechanism is that if you're someone like me, who has this set point of high cortisol, that leads to more leaky gut, you know, what we call in medicine, increased intestinal permeability, that makes you more likely to develop food intolerances, the most common being, of course, gluten and dairy, but the list is long, it can include peanuts, it can include corn, you know, there's many things that people can get intolerant to, whatever you're eating the most of, if you have leaky gut. So a lot of people are causing food stress. Another factor is going to low carb. So a lot of people, especially with a continuous glucose monitor, will just cut out the carbs. That tends to work better for men than it does for women, because women need carbs. We need carbs for thyroid function to keep something called reverse T3, On the lower side, if it gets too high from bringing down your carbs too low, that can block thyroid function. It can also lead to decreased serotonin, so it's harder to sleep at night. It can lead to this high cortisol level. So your food, your nutrition is really important. Eating those anti-inflammatory foods, especially the healthy fats,
0: that serve as the backbone for all of the sex hormones that you make. One thing that we've talked about a few times throughout this interview that I want to take just a second to pause and maybe talk more about is blood sugar, right? Can you just explain to our audience, what is blood sugar and why is this so important for us to think about in terms of how we choose our diet? So our food has a few different macronutrients, carbs,
1: fat, protein. Alcohol is sort of its own category. We can talk about that if you want. And so what we want is a balance and to personalize the right amounts of those macronutrients. So carbs turn to glucose in the body. Glucose is one of those fuels that your body uses. Your body mostly uses two fuels, either glucose or fat. One of the key aspects of metabolic health, and I'm going to get a little quieter and slower here because I think this is so important. If you learn nothing else, I hope you pay attention to this part. So it's not that I want women to diet. It's not that I want women to lose weight, be thinner, take up less space on this planet, or have some sort of crazy obedience around food. What I want is for women to have the best metabolic health that they can have over their entire lifetime. What I found is that that is the least likely to be associated with chronic disease as you get older. But the key is you have to pay attention to it in your 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s to avoid the scary diagnoses in your 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Things like diabetes, things like Alzheimer's disease. So, glucose is so important. One of the key features of metabolic health is this thing called metabolic flexibility. And that's very simply the ability to to toggle a switch in your body between burning glucose as fuel or Burning fat as fuel. We're designed to toggle back and forth depending on the type of fuel that's available. So, if you are eating like I did through my 20s, I was eating hospital cafeteria food. I remember I used to have like a veggie burger every single day. That's a ton of carbs, it's a ton of processed food, wasn't much fat. And it led to a lot of hormonal problems. So, I had high glucose. I didn't start to measure it until I was in my thirties and I discovered that I had pre-diabetes. So fasting glucose, the average, the normal average is a fasting glucose of 70 to 99. Optimal is 65 to 85. Once it gets above 85, that's where your blood glucose is starting to show signs of insulin working too hard. Insulin resistance. Your cells become numb to insulin. I had a fasting glucose at 35 of 105. I want to challenge everyone to know what their fasting glucose is. I sometimes ask this at parties because, you know, a lot of people, my husband included, he was just in the bathroom as I was fumbling with my makeup. And he was like, Our net worth is X. It went up by Y amount today. You know, he's like on his phone looking at all of our money, he could not tell you his fasting glucose because he is more aware of this number associated with retirement than he is the number that is even more associated with retirement. So I really want to challenge people to know their fasting glucose. So metabolic flexibility, metabolic health, that's a little bit more detail about blood glucose. And then do you also want to talk about like how to manage it or where do you want to go?
0: I would love that. I mean, definitely in terms of, you know, we now understand why it's important to think about blood sugar and your fasting glucose levels. I'd love to hear about best practices to manage it.
1: So there's really two main ways that are the most proven to help you with blood glucose. So for instance, if your fasting glucose is greater than 85, or in my case, prediabetes at 105, plant-based diet. So 100% plant-based diet, zero processed food. That's probably the most proven to help you with managing glucose. Now, I'm food agnostic. So I've got lots of patients who are plant-based. I've got lots of patients who are omnivores. To me, what matters is that we personalize what's going to fit you the best. The other way to do it is with a ketogenic diet. But I recommend, especially for women, that we adapt it, that we start first with detoxification. We focus mostly on plant-based oils. You can still have saturated fat from animal protein, animal fat, but you want to keep it ideally less than 21% of calories based on a new randomized trial that was published by David Ludwig, showing that this particular diet, low carb, but not too low carb, high fat, but mostly plant-based fat, 21% from saturated fat, that's associated with the best metabolic health and cardiovascular health. And that's really what we want. Because we know that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in the U.S. of both men and women. So those are the two that I recommend. Now, when I go on 100% plant-based diet, it doesn't work for me because I've got a particular genetic combination that makes me too hungry on a plant-based diet. Now, it works for other people. It works for my friend Casey Means, for instance, who's a Stanford-trained physician. She is 100% plant-based. She uses fasting to help get into ketosis with a plant-based diet. I talk about plant-based keto in my new book as well. But the benefit of ketosis is that you produce ketones. So you burn fat, you produce ketones, and those ketones keep you satisfied. Now they do some other things that are really good for entrepreneurs. Ketones are preferred fuel for the brain. And they give you this mental acuity, like, oh, like you can hear the angels singing, you know, it's just like this lovely place to be in. When that switch goes to burning fat, you produce ketones. Ketones are not just for keeping you feeling contented with your food and mental acuity. It's a signaling molecule that reduces inflammation. It helps you with gut health
0: as long as you're doing a well-formulated ketogenic diet. I agree. I mean, I've seen my brain just kind of light up when I've had to kind of tweak even my breakfast. I used to just rely on eating bars. When I lived in New York, I just grab a bar from whole foods and just seeing, having a proper breakfast with high fat. And I used to always be scared of fat. You know, you're not trained. You're thinking, Oh, I'm going to have low carb, not too much fat in my diet, but my brain just feels like it's on fire and I can actually function so much better. So I'm glad you're talking about this and you're very much about the ketogenic diet and how it doesn't necessarily always work for women. And that's why you've created your own protocol. But one thing I also would love for you to talk more about is Why women in general just need more carbs? Because I think there's a lot of stereotypes around just carbs in general. There is. I think there's a lot of misinformation about carbohydrates.
1: And it's important to realize that we definitely need carbs. You know, I I had a patient yesterday who has been on a ketogenic diet. She's done what I consider to be classic keto, meaning that she's having the bacon and the butter. And, you know, she's following some advice from a man. And the original ketogenic diet was developed by a man. It was developed for epilepsy about hundred years ago. A lot of the books about keto are written by men. Women need carbs. In my opinion, I think we need more carbs than men because our physiology is just different. You know, our hormones are different. There's so many sex and gender differences. We need carbs. So we need, I believe, mostly vegetable-based carbs. So by that, I mean- the detoxifying vegetables, things like cabbage, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, cauliflower. We need those to help us poop every single day and to make sure that those detox pathways are open so that when you start burning fat, you're able to dispose of it. It doesn't get, you know, kind of built up in the blood in the form of lipoproteins or cholesterol or inflammation. So Carbs are really important. I recommend that you go big on vegetables. The non-starchy vegetables go small on fruits. So my favorite fruits, especially for a well-formulated ketogenic diet are avocados, coconut, olives, sometimes lemon, limes, things like that. And to limit carbs for about a four-week pulse. And then you can add back some other fruits like berries and, you know, Things that you like, even cherries. I made a a cherry crumble yesterday. Oh, nice. Did not change my blood sugar because I had enough. I used almond flour for the crumble. I did use some butter, some pastry (laughs) butter. I mean, the carbs are so important. They fuel us. And, you know, I was talking about how you want to toggle back and forth between burning carbs and burning fat. You don't want to just stick to keto for the rest of your life and just burn fat. You want to be like a hybrid car like a Prius that can go back and forth between the battery or using gas, kind of depending on what's available. That's what our, our body is really designed to do. That's what our genetics program us to do. And so you need carbs to be able to flip back and forth. So we need it, I mentioned this earlier, you need it for making serotonin. Serotonin is such an important part of entrepreneurship, You know, for stabilizing mood, for helping us with sleep. It's also involved in appetite. What I see with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they get depleted in serotonin, and that doesn't mean that you should replace it or take an antidepressant that is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It means that you need carbohydrates to start to fill that tank again. And then you also need carbs for thyroid function and for your cortisol level, your stress level. That's why I think it's so important.
0: Gosh, carbs play such a role in so many different facets. I appreciate you sharing all that. And you know, one thing I'd love to get your take on with all the patients that you've seen, what do you think are maybe the top three mistakes that women are making in their diet at a high level?
1: Well, I would say for women who aren't paying attention to carbs, they're eating too much carbs. So you want to figure out the dose similar to the dose of how you want to counter the stress in your life. You want to figure out the right dose of carbohydrates. So in my book, I walk people through a process for how to determine that, where you change your dose of carbohydrates by about five grams per day, and then you track some outcomes like your glucose. You can do it with a finger stick or with a continuous glucose monitor, and you determine what your carb threshold is. What is your carb limit? So number one, eating too many carbs. If you eat too many, they get stored as belly fat, especially after 35. It's one of those super unfair things. Where women start to redistribute fat after 35. You may not notice it until 45, but basically by menopause, women tend to have a lot less fat at their breasts and their hips and their buttocks and more at their belly. So, dialing in your carbs really helps with that. The second mistake that I see is using food for emotional reasons. So, that could certainly be carbs, but not always. You know, some people like to throw some fat in there. The most common thing in terms of comfort food, you know, this is the pizza, the ice cream, the cookies, is that it's a combination of high carb plus high fat. And that combination is the worst possible combination for the body. High carb plus high fat is the most inflammatory. So the way to eat is really low carb, not too low, low carb plus high fat, or to go high carb, low fat. Now that's less popular as we start to change the dogma around fat, but there are some cultures and people, for instance, in Africa who really benefit from that combination of high carb, low fat. So that's the second mistake. Third mistake that I commonly see is people who are, this is less about food, but more about food timing. They're doing too much with intermittent fasting. So, I think this is especially important for women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s because it can be very stressful to do a long intermittent fast. So, the latest research coming out of USC with Walter Longo, coming out of NIH, as well as Harvard, is that probably a 14 hour overnight fast is the best duration of what we call metabolic rest. I like for people ideally. I know this is hard socially, to have about three hours between their last meal and when they go to bed. And then I I like a 14-hour overnight fast. We know that you're most insulin sensitive. So you're you're most able to manage carbs first thing in the morning. So the people who wait until noon or, or until two to eat their first meal, that can be causing some unnecessary stress. So we just want to be aware of that, especially for those of us who are entrepreneurs, who have a lot of cortisol running around in our body. We don't want to add to it by restricting our eating window too much.
0: Gosh, those are all so helpful. And Sarah, that actually reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you that you mentioned around alcohol. You know, how does alcohol play into hormones? And I'd love to get just your overall thoughts on that advice you have for us. So, I have a love hate relationship with alcohol. I'll just be totally honest. So, I love a good glass
1: of Cabernet. I mean, I live in the Bay Area, right? I mean, we live near some of these amazing wine producing regions. And the problem is, alcohol generally is not your friend. It's a brain toxin, it's a neurotoxin. It shrinks the brain as you get older. You may not notice that until you turn 40. But after 40, I can tell you, a glass or two of wine or your favorite cocktail is gonna hit harder because your liver is just not as perky as it used to be. When it comes to metabolism, when it comes to fat burning, here's the worst news of all. We know that alcohol slows down fat burning by about 70% and that lasts for 24 hours. So I can't tell you the hundreds and hundreds of women I've seen in the past year who say to me, yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. Do you drink alcohol? Yeah, I have one or two glasses every night. When you're drinking every night, it slows down fat burning pretty much continuously, week after week, month after month. It's almost impossible to get into a state of metabolic health if you're drinking that much. The third issue, that's especially true for women, and this is not an issue for men, women have toxicity at lower levels than men. We know that, you know, from the breathalyzer tests, but we also know it in terms of liver function and It's associated with a greater risk of breast cancer. And this is the part that was really shocking. There was a study published in 2011 showing that three servings a week, three, three is associated with a greater risk of breast cancer. It's modest. You know, it's like a 16% increased risk, but it's significant. So if you care about breast cancer, most of us do, you know, there's a lifetime risk for all women of 12.5% of developing breast cancer. So if you care about fat burning, if you care about metabolic health, if you care about your brain, and I want you to care about your brain now, not at age 65, when you're starting to have memory issues, then you should really be careful about alcohol. And so what I tell folks, is not that you have to give it up for the rest of your life, but like make it super special. You know, you can spend a lot more money on that bottle of wine if you're drinking less. So have two servings max per week. If that's too hard for you, then just give it up. Until you get to the level of metabolic health and the level of body fat that you really want, we know for cardiovascular function in women, that's probably about 22% body fat. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the fat acceptance movement. I'm a big fan of moving away from diet culture. But I can also tell you the studies state pretty clearly that a body fat percentage of 22% is ideal. And that was not my story until I really dialed in all of these pieces that led to this latest book. I used to hover around 25%. Then in my forties, I was around 28%. I turned 50 and I was at 30.5%. I remember they said, okay, you're no longer lean. And I was like, what? Okay, I've got to, I got to turn this ship around because yeah, I need metabolic health. So those are some numbers that hopefully are helpful.
0: Oh, so incredibly helpful. And before we close our interview, I actually wanted to talk about something we mentioned earlier in the interview around how, you know, our modern medicine is gaslighting women. So if somebody's listening today and they're like, listen, Sarah, I don't have a functional medicine doctor, a precision medicine doctor, or someone in integrative medicine, what are some things that they could do or ways that they can educate themselves on their overall health? If they feel like their doctor is not catering to how they feel and isn't being as helpful. Well, first of all, I
1: would say get a new doctor.
0: The great thing is functional medicine, precision medicine,
1: integrative medicine is becoming more popular. There's more and more people that are still in mainstream medicine who are interested in this. And so you got to find them. And one of the ways to find them is to go to some of those groups like Institute for Functional Medicine. They've got to find a practitioner, the service. Same thing with A4M, the American Academy for anti Aging Medicine. Same thing for AIHM, the... Academy for Integrative Health in Medicine. So get a new doctor, first of all. Don't allow yourself to be dismissed. If you have concerns about your mood, your weight, your thyroid, your symptoms, make sure that you've got a collaborative clinician who's listening to you, even if they're not fully educated about some of these things that we've been talking about. Second part is to educate yourself. So you know, there's so many ways to do that. When I wrote my first book, in 2012, 2013, the intention was to try to take what I was doing in my private practice and bring it to a larger audience. And I was so happy to do that because it allows people who maybe can't afford to come to see me or can't afford a functional medicine doctor to have access to the same information. So I've got hormone panels in my books. I've got, you know, kind of the key functional testing that I recommend. If you buy my book and you submit the receipt, you can get those optimal lab ranges that we use in functional and precision medicine. So I think educating yourself is really key. And don't, you know, if something doesn't sit right with you, you know, I was talking to a woman, Lisa, last week, Lisa Bilyeu, who said that she went to her doctor and hadn't had a period in a long time. And her doctor said, you have PCOS. And she said, okay well, what are we going to do about it? And her doctor said, well, do you want to get pregnant? And she said, no. And Her doctor said, well, there's nothing I can do for you. Either go on a birth control pill and come back in a year or that's it. And you know that was so devastating for her. She was gaslit because her doctor was saying, unless you want to get pregnant, we're not going to treat you. We're not going to run the hormone panel. We're not going to do all these other interventions that you deserve. So don't allow doctors to treat you that way. We have to change the conversation about hormones. And I think it starts with women. I think, you know, we are CEOs of our family. We are the future. We are what's going to change this world to make it a better place for women, more supportive, better infrastructure, better patient care, better health care, so that we're able to do what we want in the world so we have that wind at our back, that Engine that can support our mission.
0: Gosh, Sarah, that is so beautiful. And like you said, it all can start with us. And hopefully, the more we're educated, the more we're able to change the entire system. And, you know, I want to close on one last question. You know, do you have, and we've talked about so much within this interview, but any final words of wisdom that you want to share with our audience today who still thinks that success is only achieved through sacrificing their health? Such a great question, Yasmin. I I so appreciate it. Yeah, I would say, The key is
1: integration. So if you show up at that finish line, you're depleted, you haven't picked up your kids from school in years, you had a fantastic raise in terms of capital, but your relationships are suffering, your relationship with your own health is suffering. To me, that's not success. I think success for women is really about integration and the core of it, the foundation of it is your health. So I think of people like Steve Jobs. He left this planet really early. He had all the wealth in the world. He was a genius. We could argue you know, some of his behaviors and personality issues, but he did not have health. And I think it's so important to focus on your health and to realize that it is the engine behind everything that you do. And what I see a lot of entrepreneurs do is they go for their executive physical once a year or... You know, maybe they go to Cannon Ranch and like spend a week soaking up the good food and that's sort of their health tweak. But the truth is, if you outsource your health to someone else, whether that's a doctor or Cannon Ranch or whatever it is, you're not going to reap the rewards the way that you actually could. So I want you to take on your health. I want you to think about your dashboard, maybe on your phone. Think about that fasting glucose, the challenge to know your fasting glucose. Think about some of these other aspects of health. You know, I use a lot of wearables. I use not just the continuous glucose monitor. I wear a Garmin. I use a lot of things to track my health. The days that my Garmin says my body battery is 20, and I've had a few of those during this book launch, those are not the days that I go hard at my Peloton. Those are not the days that I do seven back-to-back podcasts. So we want to be in conversation with our body We want to put health as a top priority. And the last thing I want to say is interoception. So interoception is that ability to tune into what's true for you inside of your body, like this exquisite body awareness. And I want to challenge our listeners to develop that. Even if you're someone like me, I grew up with a fair amount of trauma. And those of us who had childhood trauma or even the trauma of medical training, often interoception is broken. Like we just can't do it that's where wearables can kind of help you with developing interoception so i think that's another really essential part to putting health at the center of your mission
0: oh sarah that was so beautiful thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your wisdom with all the women listening it was such an honor thank you my pleasure yasmin thank you